right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, been away for the last few days. I uh, thought I had food poisoning. Turns out I think it was stomach flu because uh, my wife got it and, and some other family members got it. So... Not a fun time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Lane was out for some personal reasons as well. So, Yeah, we both uh, had to be on the IL for a couple of days. Yeah, but we're <laughs> back now on your Thursday and back with authority because on today's show, we have Phil Steele. I mean, you got to know the name Phil Steele. Uh, Phil Steele Magazine joining the show at about 3.40 to talk some KU football. And, you know, it's it's hard to trump Phil Steele. I'm not saying we have or, or we did because, again, like that's very impossible. But we have RCST trivia football registration starting at 4 o'clock. The event is going to start next week. We'll get more into the details, how it's going to work. We'll have the official registration open up at 4.05. So uh, that's a perfect, you know, you listen in to Phil, Phil Steele at 3.40, leads you into the 4 o'clock hour. And then we do our trivia registration. Uh, that's that's an important time for it. There's there's a limited spots. This isn't like basketball where we have 64 spots for it and we have this big bracket. This is going to be more of a league. We're going to have uh, basically regular season matchups, rankings, bowl games at the end of it. So it's going to be more limited. We're only going to have you know 20 something people in this event. Um, so you know you you definitely want to register as soon as possible because. Unlike the basketball one where we register on air, then we register on the podcast, then we register on social media, and there's usually plenty of spots available on social media. This one, I don't know. Like, we might fill up today on air. We might fill up after the podcast tonight. So, uh, yeah, definitely want to register. But we start off today's show with the KU football position preview of the offensive line, our final position on the offensive side of the ball before we move over to the defense. Uh, Players lost of note. They uh, lost uh, a couple players to transfer, but really of no, I I don't know. Nobody really played a ton as far as players transferring away. You could say like a guy like Larson Workman. He was a former three-star recruit, but he never played. He's now at like Texas State. Um, You have Corey Robinson, who, you know, he never played his freshman season. He was a former three-star. Now he's at Georgia Tech. So that's a power five school, maybe say. But in terms of like what they actually lost, you know, in terms of production on the field and stuff, uh, they lost more by graduation or retirement than they did via the transfer portal. Malik Clark had nine starts last season. He had 39 over the course of his career. Uh, Adagio Lopetti had uh, appeared in eight games last season. He played in 27 over the course of his career. He had nine career starts. Chris Hughes uh, only played three games last season with one start, but he had over 40 appearances and over 20 career starts, and he was actually... KU's highest graded pass blocker and run blocker, again, in in a limited sample size and a limited amount of of games and everything. And then Joseph Gilbertson, who uh, played five games with one start last season, 
that's a lot to lose on the offensive line. Now, it's not a bu- like a bunch of the guys I said appeared in X many games, but how many starts are really losing from last season? It's the nine for Malik Clark, and then it's, I think, two combined from everyone else. Um, but it's still important to have depth, especially on the offensive line, and that'll be a big question here. Now, you also lost out of retirement. Colin Grunhard, who is the former Notre Dame transfer, came in, played in two games, started one for KU, but just dealt with injuries all season long, and those injuries uh, basically causing him to retire this year. He had double-digit games played um, in his time at Notre Dame as well, so an experienced lineman that you lost due to kind of injury retirement headed into this season. Here's who you return. At the tackle position, you have Earl Bostick Jr., who I think is kind of being pegged as, like Mike Nowitzki is the steady Eddie, like you would think of kind of the leader of the offensive line when you're the center and everything. Earl Bostick is is the flash. He's, you know, the huge offensive tackle. Six foot six, 315 pounds. He's a super senior entering his sixth year. This is last year left to play. Uh, Body-wise, he has an NFL type of body and athleticism to him. It's just about putting it all together. He went down to media days. That obviously shows you that the staff seems high on him. It wasn't the greatest season uh, by, you know, standards last year. He uh, had a 58 overall grade on pro football focus. Uh, He was 56 uh, grade in the run, 56 in the pass. Ideally, you want to be above 60 in a lot of these regards, and preferably you'd be love to be above 70 or more. If you get above 80, that's, you know, uh, really, really good numbers. Um, but kind of a theme that I'm going to share with a lot of these guys returning, as is the case for Earl Bostick and a lot of these others, someone who really picked up his game, or was it just a uh, more of a result of playing together and you know meshing with these other offensive linemen, meshing with the scheme, feeling like you have better chemistry with the coaches and, and the players around you and feeling like you have practiced this scheme more, the footwork and everything a little bit better and you have a better feel for how this is all going to go, that the combination of those things, you know, just better understanding led to better results at the end? Was it just getting better? Whatever it is, that was a very common theme among these offensive linemen and Earl Bostic, no different. Averaged a 67.5 overall grade in the last four games. So if you're coming back another year, and if you just build it off of what he did over the last four games, if you get a 70-plus overall grade from him over the course of the season, that would be really good numbers for KU offensive line. Uh, Mike Nowitzki at center, obviously returns 6'5", 295-pound redshirt senior. He does have two years left of play because of the COVID year, obviously transferred in last year from Buffalo. He was a bit higher than Earl Bostick in terms of overall grade, averaged a 63 on pro football focus. He was better against the pass than he was the run, 59 against the run, 67 against the pass. But again, like Earl Bostick, he averaged a 67 overall grade in the final four games. And he was also someone, when he was at Buffalo, um, he was listed as like one of the best centers in the entire country his last year that he was at Buffalo. Then you have Michael Ford Jr., who I, I kind of view as, as more of a uh, guard, six foot three, 290-pound redshirt sophomore, but obviously KU wants to have you know offensive linemen that are versatile and can play different positions. He has three years left to play. Came in last year as well with Mike Nowitzki from Buffalo. Had a 53 overall grade on Pro Football Focus. He was 50 against the run, 60 against the pass. Averaged 55 over the last four games, so not as much of a rise as those other guys, but it did get a little bit better over the last four games for him. Then you have Armaj Reed Adams, and this is someone who I know David Lawrence uh, 
said he's really excited about what he could be. And I kind of echo that excitement. Um, for a little bit, you know, it felt like maybe he was in the running to be kind of the next Hakeem Adeniji, who came in as a freshman and, and played right away and kind of took off from there. And Armajorit Adams came in right away in 2020 and, and played. He uh, wasn't, you know, the best, most productive season. Obviously, we know that KU offensive line really struggled. He had a 51 overall grade, just 52 against the run and just 43 against the pass. But he, he earned valuable experience. And then last year, he didn't play as much. And, and I think that was partially because, you know, in 2020, obviously without as much offensive line help, you had to kind of throw him into the fire. And I think above all positions, offensive line is the hardest for true freshmen to come in right away, just body-wise and play. Like, it's one thing if one of the five-star recruits that Alabama pulls in, because those dudes are, you know, chiseled uh, out of a, a factory or something. Right. But uh, it's another thing for you know, three stars and four stars to come in. They need the body to develop. And last year, that was the beauty of it. They essentially got to redshirt him. Well, they did redshirt him. He only played five uh, snaps all of last year. All of them were run block snaps. He had a 58 grade there, which was the sixth grade improvement from the year before. Again, very small sample size. But the point is, you got to get his body right over the redshirt season. He got familiar with the scheme in the year off. Now he's 6'5", 320 pounds. He has four years left of play, even though he's a redshirt sophomore. I think that dude could be something uh, of a, I don't know, like next year we could be looking at him the way we look at Earl Bostic. And then this is a guy that, so I mentioned that uh, David Lawrence very high on our Marjorie Adams. This is the guy that maybe I'm the highest on on the offensive line, like outside of, like obviously you expect Mike Nowitzki to, to be, you know, potential all Big 12 center, whatever it is. Bryce Cable do is really interesting to me. Six foot six, 301 pounds, redshirt sophomore. He's added weight to his frame. He, you know, came in a lot lighter than that and is slowly kind of built to it. He has three years left to play. He uh, had a 55 and a half overall grade on Pro Football Focus. That was up from 50 the year before. Again, he was kind of thrown in the fire maybe earlier than you would want there. And last year, he was he was better against the run than the pass where he kind of struggled. 59 against the run, 47 and a half against the pass. But again, as I mentioned with these other guys, you see numbers that really improved over the last four games. I mentioned Earl Bostic, 67 and a half over the last four. Nowitzki, 67. Bryce Cable do is better than both those guys over the last four games. 68 overall grade over the last four games for Bryce Cable do. He's a young guy. He's building into the body. He's improved from year to year. He improved over the last four games. And he's not a guy who was like a full-time starter, you know, coming into the year and everything last year. He's someone that I kind of expect to take a big jump. And, and I might be most excited to see what his future holds because he's still got a lot of years left. And then you have some other guys who uh, maybe are a little bit more unknown. Dekedrick De Stearns, six foot four, 308-pound redshirt freshman. He has four years left. He was a uh, former three-star recruit. Nicholas Martinez, six foot five, 315-pound Redshirt sophomore, he has three or four years left. Then you have Hank Kelly, 6'4", 297, redshirt freshman, four years left. Jake Eisenhower, 6'1", 303, redshirt freshman, four years left. Joe Krausch, Krause is a 6'3", 305-pound redshirt sophomore, three years left. Danny Robinson at 6'5", 301 with three years left. And Jackson Satterwhite, 6'5", 302 with three years left as well. Um, some of those guys are walk-ons and... You know, some of those guys might be more depth long term. I don't know, but they're going to need guys to emerge. And maybe that's what comes from the newcomers here. Maybe the newcomers are used as the guys that can add to the depth because that is the big question here. Uh, Joe Baker is KU's third highest graded freshman, according to 24-7 Sports. He's a three-star recruit. 
He ranks 111th in the country there at the offensive tackle position. Comes out of South Lake Carroll, which is a really successful high school program in Texas. But he's going to, I would imagine, need some time. He's listed as 6'4", 250 out of high school. You're going to need to add some weight to that frame. And and that's tough to do in season. He's kind of a candidate I look at and you say, maybe you redshirt him. James Livingston. He is KU's fourth highest graded freshman, right behind Joe Baker on 24-7. Three-star recruit, number 123 at the offense tackle position. He comes from Dexter, Michigan. A little bit more of a maybe college-ready ready body. I mean, he's got 35 more pounds on him, but he's also three inches taller, so there's more weight that can be fit on that frame. 6'7", 275. Again, great future size there, but you probably want to add some some weight to that guy, add some muscle to that guy, so maybe someone who redshirts. Now, you do have with the new redshirt rules, you can play a guy four games, so you can still kind of use those together that if James Livingston and Joe Baker each play four games, basically that's eight games of a backup tackle or, or whatever offensive line position between the two of them. Uh, Dominic Pooney is a transfer from Central Missouri. He is 6'5", 300 pounds, so he's more of that college-ready body. He has two seasons left to play. He was at the collegiate level, Central Missouri at the D2 level, where he played 22 games. It's about making that transition, but at the very least, you know he's been in college. Like He's someone that I would imagine, if he's not on that two deep, he's probably one of the first guys on the three deep, just in terms of experience right off the bat at the beginning of the season. And then DeAndre Doran, uh, is one of two transfers from Buffalo. The other is Nolan Gorchika. And Doran was a three-star recruit out of high school. He was a three-star transfer. He got an 84 grade uh, in the, the transfer uh, grading system from 24-7 sports. Six foot three, 280 pounds. He has three seasons of eligibility left after starting 10 games and playing in 12 games at Buffalo last year. So you have some experience. You have more of the college body ready. He had a 58 overall grade on Pro Football Focus, which, again, you want to see higher, but you look at some of those other KU players, and you know he was kind of around there. Um, but really good run blocker. 71 grade is a run blocker. Again, good numbers there on Pro Football Focus. What he needs to improve on, he was just a 26-grade pass blocker, so that's not good. No. <laughs> but the one thing going his way, he was he was mostly playing offensive tackle at Buffalo. He's 6'3", 280. The frame more looks like a, a guard. Like A lot of times you see the tackles as guys who are 6'5", 6'6", 6'7". Um, and I would imagine with... KU having a pretty good amount of, of tackle options there. When you look at, you know, Cable Duke can play tackle, Reed Adams can play tackle, Bostic at tackle. Uh, like maybe Doran is just a guy that, and even Gorsica can can play tackle. Uh, maybe Doran's a guy that just comes in and instead of having to play tackle where he did at Buffalo, you play guard. And yes, pass blocking still matters when you're a guard, but you're put on less of an island as a guard than you are as a tackle. Like there's a reason that the left tackles are the ones for the most part blocking like the good pass rushers or, or whatever it is that, you know, those edge rushers are coming from the outside. So that could mitigate what is maybe more of a weakness of his game. Again, I'm not really expecting him to be a starter, but if, if he's a good run blocker off the bench and he's your depth, that could be a good option there. And then with Nolan Gorchika, which, again, I, I still never know how to pronounce his last name, another <laughs> transfer from Buffalo, three-star recruit out of high school. He transferred in 82 grade on 24-7 sports, six foot six, 275 pounds. He redshirted last year at Buffalo, so he has four years left. I'm sure he got to use that on his body and everything. I'm sure they're still running a similar scheme and everything at Buffalo, so I don't think that'll be uh, too difficult of a transition. And he came over um, back during 
the spring, I believe. So that should give him extra time with the program. I know David Lawrence talked about him when we had him on earlier this week uh, about a guy that he's heard good things about, and that's going to be important because he could be your backup tackle at at both tackle positions or kind of be a guy that plugs and plays all over the field that you're going to need that with the depth. So overall, you look at this unit. KU last year was just 111th in the country, according to Pro Football Focus, in pass-blocking grade at 47.4. And the drop-off from the next lowest Big 12 team to them was stark. Texas was 72nd in the country. So you're talking about a 40-spot difference between the next worst Big 12 team at pass-blocking to where Kansas was. The thing is, the thing that I'm kind of confused about when it comes to those rankings is how do they put that all together? Because KU had the fewest sacks allowed in the Big 12. That's the other thing. Well, I understand pass rush and that kind of stuff, but that, that's just one thing to that's yeah. One so, thing to mention is that KU had so, the fewest sacks allowed. So, like, if you look at if you look at sacks allowed, it can be a bit of a like it's a good thing to not allow sacks. It is, of course. But when you look at the end of the day, the teams that are going to lead the country in less sacks allowed, like Army is going to have very few sacks allowed over the course of the season because they run the ball every play, right? right. Kansas ran the ball a lot. Kansas also was not on the field a lot offensively, not running a lot of plays because they had a lot of three and outs. So they're not getting sacked as much. And just because you like, just because you don't get sacked doesn't mean that the pass rush didn't affect the play, right? What happens if the pass rusher knocks over the right tackle and you had Jason Bean, who was really fast, and he was able to run away from it, right? And then he had to throw the ball away or run downfield. Or the quarterback's able to just throw the ball away in time or just dump it off to his check down. Uh, There can be more than the sacks. Now, you're right. Like, not giving up a lot of sacks, that's that's very important, and that's great. That's what you want to see. But there are other ways. It's it's like sometimes when, in college basketball, you'll see a team who – is like number two in the in the country in points allowed per game. But then you look at like their Ken Palm rating on defense and they're like, you know, 25th. And you're like, what gives? It's because they play at a slower tempo. So there's less points to be had at the other end. Um, so it, they were a 15 grade lower by pass blocking grade on pro football focus than what Texas was. So Texas was a 62.2. Again, if we're just talking about getting all these units up to Big 12 standards or being better in other regards, just get up to the other Big 12 teams. So that's the goal. Get up to like a low 60s pass block grade, which if you look at what they were doing over the last four weeks, you know, very doable. Then you look at the run blocking grade. They were 54.3, so better than they were at pass blocking in terms of the grade, but more teams are just better at run blocking in the country, and they were actually 119th in run blocking grade. And we remember early on in the season, the first seven or eight weeks, it was a struggle for them to establish anything on the ground. And then they finally kind of picked that up. Uh, Again, pretty stark difference between them and the the next worst Big 12 team. Texas Tech was at 81st. KU was 119th in the country. And Texas Tech had a 65 run block grade compared to KU's 54.3. So again, can you get into the low to mid 60s at both pass blocking and run blocking? As I mentioned, with... Uh, Bryce Cable do. He it was a 68 overall the last four weeks. Mike Nowitzki, 67 overall. Earl Bostic, 67 and a half. Like those are all grades that are above par to what you would need there. As far as the projected depth chart, Earl Bostic at one of the tackle positions, I'd probably go with Bryce Cable do at another. Michael Ford and Armaj Reed Adams at the guard spots. Mike Nowitzki at center. Um, and then you're kind of looking at 
Like ideally, you would love to have a a pretty set two deep here, ten guys through, but um, you at least need like in the NFL they have you know seven or eight guys, and those two or three main backups are going to kind of rotate in behind the starters and and just fill wherever it is. So if Nolan Gorschika and DeAndre Doran can be your interior guy, and then maybe a guy like DeKedrick Stearns or, or one of these youngsters can kind of step up, then maybe that gets it done. But there are a lot of questions there. How much will the unproven depth hurt KU? You know, you, you go through a season, there's going to be injuries, especially in football, especially on the offensive line. Uh, it's going to be important for that depth to step up. Again, it doesn't have to be 10 guys in depth, but – you need at least two or three quality ones. Right. Now, is what we saw at the end of the season, because this is my other question, a more meshed unit? Is it a product of playing together more in the system like we saw last year? Is it something that should carry over into the season? That's kind of similar to like the Jalen Daniels question, like how much of what we saw is real and will carry over. I don't have the answer to that. I do think that it does carry over to some extent, though, because I, I have a hard time believing that they would just all of a sudden go from you know, a, a really struggling offensive line to one that was really making inroads in a lot of ways over the last four games. And it wasn't in relation to, hey, the staff got here so late and they didn't even have spring ball and you're learning a new system on the fly and all these things. Like, I would imagine that very much has something to do with it. And that would mean that, hey, you did have spring ball this time and you did have all of last year and that you shouldn't have those issues this year. So the bottom line, uh, Scott Fuchs, the offensive line coach, did such a good job in, in getting them to that point, creating that turnaround literally mid-season. And he has been, you know, well-renowned for his work he's done. I'm excited to see what this offensive line does now that he's been coaching them over the course of an entire offseason. And there's reason to believe spending more time with him and in the system, like that on its own, uh, forget any, you know, player growth, literally in terms of both body and, and what they've been able to do in terms of getting stronger and in terms of just knowing everything, but just more time spending with him is going to be enough for a huge improvement on its own. The depth, as I said, could be the biggest issue, and that is scary. But if this unit can just be in line with those other Big 12 programs, I mean, we, we talked about it earlier this week, like the KU running backs, that's a top half unit in the Big 12. There is a world where, especially if the offensive line is looking good, where Jalen Daniels could even be a top-half quarterback in the Big 12. So if the offensive line can just be in line with the other Big 12 programs, this could be a pretty good offense. Otherwise, if they struggle, I think you're going to see some of those skill positions where KU does have an opportunity to maybe take advantage of defense. You're going to lose some of that advantage that you have, and you're going to lose some of that. Like, you know, Devin Neal is great of a running back. We saw a lot of times where he was stuffed up because the offensive line wasn't there. You have to create lanes for these guys, and that's going to be the key for this offensive line and certainly the position that I'm most interested by coming into this year, which is kind of a weird thing to say <laughs> because, you know, usually that's not the sexy position, but it is for me this year. With Lane Gillespie, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Phil Steele joins us next. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Joined now by a special guest here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. That would be one Phil Steele of Phil Steele fame, Phil Steele magazine. It's on the shelves now. Um, so, Phil, I I'm curious, how much – 
you know, when you're doing all these previews for these different teams and obviously here with KU and everything, uh, do you take into account how they finished the season, such as the case for KU? Is it more of a body of work? Is KU a different circumstance because of when the coaches took over? Like, how do you kind of view the way that KU played at the end of last season versus the overall season that that happened last year? Yeah, it's not a general rule of thumb that if a team shows improvement at the end of the year, they're going to be better next year, carrying momentum into the next season. But in Kansas's case, yes. And I think you hit it right on the head, Derek. Last year, Lance Leipold was in a tough situation. I mean, here's a guy that takes over the team basically after spring practice was over, had no interaction with the team prior to that, and then had to learn the team and implement his system over the summer and try to get it going. And, of course, you know, while Kansas won the opening game against South Dakota, it was tougher than expected. And then we saw exactly what they were headed for. But it's an amazing thing that this team was 1-8 and eight and going to play Texas on the road and a massive underdog, uh, close to five touchdowns, and yet came out and won that game. And, I, and it wasn't a fluky win. It was a game they pretty much controlled. And then what you saw was a continued effort that the players really started to buy in at that point, believe in what Coach Leipold was saying, and uh, nearly upset TCU, nearly upset West Virginia the next two weeks. And uh, you could see the improvement on this team on a weekly basis at the end of the year. And I think that will carry over to this year, especially with the fact Coach Leipold was actually able to have spring practice with the team and, and now knows the players. Uh, I remember talking to him last year for the uh, the post-spring call, and uh, I, you know he had to have the interim head coach in there with him and, because he didn't really know the players. And now he knew the players inside and out this year and a much better grasp of it. So I, I see clear improvement coming. Well, on the offensive side of the ball, certainly the position that a lot of people are excited for is the running back group. When you have Devin Neal come back after a nice freshman season, Kai Thomas transfers in, Daniel Highshaw back from injury, uh, some other guys of, of note on the running back uh, position as well. And and you have that as a top 40 unit in the country. Um, obviously, you know, we've seen some some other good running back groups for KU in recent memory. I just think back to the, the year where you had Puka Williams and Khalil Herbert, but then Khalil Herbert transfers away. I guess uh, what makes you like that group so much, and, and do you think it can impact uh, winning or, or being more competitive for KU this season, maybe better than in some years past? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, last year's unit was extremely thin. It was basically Devin Neal. <laughs> the number two rusher was a quarterback. Uh, the number three rusher had like 200 yards. So Devin Neal was the offense last year. And it was a, a twofold thing because uh, if you go back and look at Buffalo, uh, Leipold, Coach Leipold always had a strong run game, developed running backs. I remember going through, through the team with him at Buffalo and he'd have a couple of under undistinguished running backs. And all of a sudden at the end of the year, Buffalo had a powerful run game. So I know he can develop the run game. I like Devin Neal as the key key piece coming back, the top rusher, but the depth was greatly aided. I mean, bringing in uh, Kai Thomas from Minnesota and the Savion Morris from Nebraska, you know, they also have a big, thick running back and Daniel Hinshaw back. Now they've got depth. They don't have to just rely on Devin Neal. It's the second year of the system. They know it well, and Leipold always establishes a strong run game. So all those factors went into me ranking them in my top 40. Is is this the best that I don't know, maybe from from your view of the outside looking in, uh, that 
the KU quarterback position has felt going into a season. I know Carter Stanley had the good year a couple years ago, but even then going into the season, you didn't really know. Is this the best that it's felt like from the outside that the KU might be at the quarterback position since maybe Todd Reesing over a decade ago? Clearly. And I, I think when you look at Jalen Daniels, you see hell, uh, hope. I mean, this guy started three games last year and nearly went 3-0 and in those games, and, and knocking off Texas was remarkable. You know, he's a guy that uh, really sparked the team late in the year with his emotion and his energy and uh, took the red shirt off late threw him in there, and uh, he's a guy that can scramble, make you miss. He's got a very strong arm, and he's got a great personality as well. So, I mean, you add all those together, it's the perfect quarterback to have. And the good news is there is some depth now. Jason Bean is a guy who might be the fastest player on the team. He's got great running ability, a good arm. Uh, he got thrown into the mix last year, started nine games. I think if you rely on Jason Bean uh, to, to come in every once in a while due to a, an injury or something like that, you're in good shape because you have a an improved quarterback there. So I but I'm really high on Jalen Daniels. I think he's gonna have a big year this year. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because nowadays with the transfer portal, you don't you don't see backup quarterbacks stick around very often. So that could be a positive. Who knows for the Jayhawks? Obviously, they don't want to have to get to that point. Um, but your your magazine also on the defensive side of the ball it has the Jayhawks as the most improved run defense and scoring defense in the country. And obviously, that would be a, a gigantic positive for the staff. At the same point in time, that also kind of speaks to. Uh, how much of an issue those numbers were that there's a lot of kind of cushion that that you can lose there uh, coming off from last year, which kind of begs the question for me, what what typically, like in terms of past examples of numbers or in terms of like what is kind of the max of what the, the biggest improvements of points per game or whatnot or how much you can really improve on one side of the ball over one year? Like, like how uh, – what is typically the ceiling there? Yeah, I think the absolute ceiling on, uh, let's say, defensively would probably be 14 points per game. Uh, and that would be based on the fact that the previous year, everything that could go wrong went wrong, and they allowed a ridiculous amount of points. Uh, and you know, I'll give you an example. Uh, one example, uh, defensively, Georgia's defense is weaker this year, right? Uh, I mean, they lose eight starters off the defensive side of the ball. Uh, eight draft picks, I should say, off the defensive side of the ball. Only have three starters back. So their uh, defense goes from allowing 10 points per game last year. 10 is ridiculous in this era of offensive college football. But my computer projects them to allow 16 this year. So as much as they're weaker than last year, you have to take that into uh, context that they're allowing 16 points per game. Now, when you look at Kansas's defense, it was one of those cases where if you look at Kansas the last couple of years, 46 points per game they allowed in 2020, 42.2 last year. This year, my computer's calling for them to be a touchdown better, all the way up to 35.4 points per game. But 35.4 points per game is far from a dominating defense. But I do think when you look at Kansas, one of the problems last year was getting pressure on the quarterback. I mean, it's happened the last two years, nine sacks, 15 sacks. They had another player like Lonnie Phelps coming in from Miami of Florida. This guy that had nine and a half sacks. He's got quickness. He's got explosiveness. He's got size at 6'3", 242 off the edge. I think he could come in and give him an instant upgrade at that pass rush, which helps everything else on the defense. Getting Kenny Logan back, I thought was 
one of Leipold's best recruiting things. I mean, a lot of folks would like to have had Kenny Logan led the Big 12 in tackles last year. I think there probably was uh, teams knocking on the door to Kenny and saying, hey, come on over here. But he opted to stick it out with Kansas, and I love that. He's got excellent talent. He's got NFL potential, and that's a big part of that secondary, which is going to be aided by the better pass rush. So I can even see Kansas ex- uh, exceeding my computer's expectations of 35.4 and doing better than that. But to answer your question, I'd say 14 points is probably the best they can do improvement-wise. Yeah, and uh, obviously a, a lot of transfers coming in on, on that side of the ball, especially at the uh, the linebacker position for them. Um, uh, when you're you know doing this, and, and I'm sure this is a lot different than it was doing it 10 years ago where the biggest additions were the, the freshmen coming in and the occasional transfer. Now that the transfer portal has been so robust, how do you kind of take into account, you know, what's just, well, this guy's a transfer and he's coming in, but, you know, what is he going to provide versus, oh, no, this is like a big-time transfer coming in, like you mentioned with Lonnie Phelps. How do you kind of evaluate that in uh, relation to, for instance, Kansas with what they did at the linebacker position where you have a guy like Craig Young from Ohio State who didn't play a ton at Ohio State, but he's a big athlete, or you have you know all these guys come in from different schools and you don't know what the fit and everything is going to be. How do you kind of monitor what you think that, that how that's going to kind of all come together? Yeah, that's a great question. And it, I'll take you over to Memphis as an example for this. Memphis last year had eight transfers come in, and of the eight transfers, one of them saw significant time. The other seven didn't really play. So just because you have a transfer coming in doesn't necessarily mean he's going to step in and fit. I think a lot of it for me is uh, how they, they impact the spring. Were they in for the spring? Did they earn a starting job in the spring? If they did earn a starting job in the spring, then boom, I think they're going to have a, a major impact. If they didn't earn a major starting job in the spring, yes, they could still have an impact, but I don't know if I'm going to count on them that much in the power ratings. Uh, now, if you take a look at a team like like USC, for example, this year, uh, where Lincoln Riley did a phenomenal job. When you look at USC, uh, it starts at the quarterback position. They bring in Caleb Williams. Will Williams have an impact in his first year? Well, heck yeah. He played in the exact same system at Oklahoma last year. So I know doggone well he's going to come in and start at the quarterback spot. Same thing with wide receiver Mario Williams coming over from Oklahoma. He's a guy that uh, started for Oklahoma last year. He was my number two rated wide receiver out of high school. He'll have an impact. They brought in the Bolitnikoff winner in Jordan Addison. I got a pretty good feeling he's going to start there. They brought in a 1,000-yard rusher in Travis Dye from Oregon. Got a pretty good feeling he's going to start there, especially after talking to Coach Riley. So sometimes the transfers are automatics, but you cannot count on every transfer to make an impact. We're talking with Phil Steele here here on uh, Rock Chalk Sports Talk. So overall, just, just big picture of KU headed into this season and as a program moving forward. What do you view to be the biggest positive, and, and what's your biggest question right now? Uh, probably the biggest question I have is just the overall gap they had between them and the rest of the Big 12. I mean, this has been pretty much an automatic, uh, Derek. What I do every year, I just automatically say, okay, Kansas finishing last in the Big 12. Now let's worry about the rest of the conference. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that in future years. And picking them to where I did this year, uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Kansas uh, tops my rating. I, I just like the overall team that they've got coming back. I like the uh, how the improvement they showed last year. Uh, Almost every position, as you would expect, is improved this year. 
They go from a brand-new head coach trying to learn the player's strengths and weaknesses to having 17 starters back, quarterback positions upgraded, running back positions upgraded, offensive line with four starters back is in better shape. The defense is improved at all three layers and will be improved. Uh, the only question mark might be a little bit of wide receiver losing the top guy, but I like the overall talent they have. So this Kansas team is clearly the on an upward trajectory. And I'll go back to Lance Leipold at Buffalo. His first couple of years there weren't, weren't that great, but I saw the upward trajectory, and I love what he did. They got strong at the line of scrimmage, strong at the offensive line, strong at the defensive line, and they just out-physicaled the rest of the MAC uh, as it went on. It's going to be a little tougher to do that in the Big 12, but I think we're going to see Kansas really get turned around. It wouldn't surprise me. I think the over-under in Vegas right now for Kansas is two and a half. I'm bullish. I'm, I'm taking the over. They just need one upset to get there, and I think they easily do that this year. Well, and, and you brought up an interesting point about, you know, as we look to the future, and we talk about this all the time here, is is what you said. For KU, you know, to catch up with the other teams or, or for to be a, a bowl team at some point or, or whatever it is, it's not just that you have to get better. It's that, you know, maybe somebody else has to open the door that you have to pass them or that they have to drop off or something like that. And, and whether that's this year or, or long term, is there another school or two in the Big 12 right now that you think would be susceptible to, you know, uh, Kansas possibly passing them as a program if things went right for, for KU and, and went wrong for the other school? Uh, I think it's going to be tough. That's why I did pick Kansas last this year, just because the Big 12 is so deep. And this year, when I say how deep the Big 12 is, I'm going down and including Kansas, because I think that Lance Leipold and company can knock off anybody on any basis. But you, know, you look at Texas Tech with Joey McGuire, uh, he's got an infectious enthusiasm coming in. He also has uh, a veteran team coming back, and he's got players like Tyler Shuck and Baron Morton at the quarterback spot, a veteran offensive line. West Virginia, they their problem has been quarterback play the last couple of years. They bring in JT Daniels, who is one of the better quarterbacks in the country. TCU, when I talked to Coach uh, Sonny Dykes going over the team with them, he was pleasantly uh, surprised with the amount of talent he inherited. He liked the amount of talent throughout the board they have. They've got two capable quarterbacks in Chandler Morris and Max Dugan. Iowa State, even though they are a lot less experienced than last year, Matt Campbell's finally back to the place he wants to be, under the radar. And when he's under the radar, look out. And then, of course, the top five teams in the Big 12. I expect all of them, Kansas State, Texas, Oklahoma State, Baylor, and Oklahoma to contend for the top. But it wouldn't surprise me if we see a good amount of upsets this year, because I think the bottom of the Big 12 is very strong. Yeah, so if you had to kind of peg out, um, you know, what would be the most likely uh, of Kansas' Big 12 wins, whether it's, you know, based on time, place, uh, who they're playing, uh, which one would you circle that, you know, if, if that upset win does happen in the Big 12, maybe this would be most likely? Clearly, the, the first one I'll point out to you is TCU. TCU's in the first year of their head coach. Uh, Kansas gets that game at home. It'll be the third straight home game, so they'll be refreshed, ready. We've seen Kansas able to play. Uh, I only have TCU a very slight favorite in that game, so it wouldn't surprise me at all if Kansas gets that one. And if I'm taking Kansas over two and a half wins for the season, that's the one I'm probably banking on. But uh, the other ones to look at, you know, Iowa State is uh, not great as a uh, favorite. They're better as an underdog. Iowa State will be favored in 
that game, but Iowa State only has nine returning starters this year, or eight returning starters, I should say. They're coming off a big game against Baylor. They've got Kansas State on deck, which is another big game, and they're traveling on the road. And once again, Matt Campbell's in his best as an underdog, and here he's a favorite. So I think that's another game Kansas would have a shot at at home against Iowa State. If Iowa State doesn't play their A game, I think Kansas would have a shot there. So those would probably be the two most likely scenarios for a Kansas win this season. But Derek, did you expect them to beat Texas last year? No, I didn't. Especially <laughs> like you said, once they were one and eight going into the game, you know, I think you could have convinced yourself before the season started, new coach, and you're excited that they win a Big Twelve game. But you certainly didn't see that one happen. No, and and not the way the game played out either. Like I said, it it wasn't a fluke that Kansas won that game. No, no. Uh, what was it, 35-14 at halftime, something like that, yeah. and, and they pulled away. Uh, last thing I have for you, just as, as we look at like college football realignment and all this stuff happening, with the Big 12 obviously set to bring on four schools next year, and all of them have shown you know really good seasons recently in football, Cincinnati making the playoff, BYU has been been really excellent over the last few years, and, and really historically, uh, UCF. Obviously, we know what they've done with you know some of their New Year's Six appearances and so forth. And then Houston, who wins double digit games last year, and, and Kansas is going to see up close and personal this year. So it's not that you're adding in teams that would all of a sudden no, there's some opportunities for for Kansas to win. They would all be underdogs in those games, but. As we look to the new future of the Big 12, whatever that might be, new divisions, new scheduling, I don't know. Do you think that could be an opportunity for KU to 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 you know find more footing as a program similar to when the Big 12 of old had the split divisions? Absolutely. Now, uh, I look at those four teams this year, uh, Derek, and I mean, BYU is absolutely loaded this year. They've got practically the entire team back. I think they're a potential top 20 team. I mean, they've got uh, offensively eight starters back and defensively 11 starters back. They've got their quarterback back in Jaron Hall. But, of course, that means next year they're most likely not going to have that kind of experience level. Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston are my top three teams in the American Conference. Fickle's doing a great job building Cincinnati. Uh, Gus Malzahn brought in a ton of P5 transfers last year, brought in a ton of P5 transfers this year. And Coach Hogerson told me last year, uh, prior to when I talked to him at post-spring, he said, Phil, it's my first normal year here at Houston. The first year we had all these red shirts. Second year was COVID. Now I finally have a normal year. And what they do, they got to the American title game. So all four of those programs are great additions to the Big 12. But I just think Leipold, the Coach Leipold, will have Kansas on the rise enough to compete with all these teams. And yes, once they start winning some of those games, better recruits start coming in, and all of a sudden, better results. So I do think Kansas will be, uh, it won't be the easy pick to pick Kansas last every year, like it has been the last 11 years. He is Phil Steele. You can get his magazine, you know, at a bunch of different places. Phil, why don't you uh, speak to everywhere that has it? I know, you know, I, I walk by the, the storefront and see it all the time. You can get it at Barnes and Nobles and everything, but uh, hear it from Phil himself where you can get the magazine, and I know you can online as well. I appreciate that, Derek. Yeah, uh, we had a, a paper shortage this year, so we actually had to print the magazine in two runs. The first run went exclusively to Barnes & Noble. So if you're looking around right now for the magazine, go to Barnes & Noble. They have it, Barnes & Noble. But the second run's just coming off the press. Should start hitting the other bookstores in about two weeks. If you can wait two weeks or have a better location near you, that'll be in about two weeks. But right now, Barnes & Noble, your best location. You can, of course, go online at philsteel.com. That's S-T-E-E-L-E dot com. And when you go 
there. You can buy the hard copy. You can also get the digital version, which, by the way, we update all the way through the start of the season. So if a coach changes or a player's gone, we'll have it updated in the digital version. That's philsteel.com. And one thing I want to point out about the website, uh, we haven't been doing the daily blogs for a while, but t- starting Monday I'll be putting out a new daily blog each and every day. So check out philsteel.com for that. Phil, I appreciate you taking some time out of your day, and uh, can't wait to talk to you next time. Sounds good, Derek. I uh, always enjoy talking football with you, my friend. Thanks for having me on. That was Phil Steele. You can check out the Phil Steele magazine. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Lane Gillespie. I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. We are brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Homefield, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis, is incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs because they dig through the archives of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments. The Kansas Collection has 14 pieces of apparel, including T-shirts, hoodies, crewnecks, and they are some of the most comfortable things that you will wear. Plus, they look really cool. And they just released, well, not just, but after the national championship, they released a national championship shirt. Use the code ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK. That's ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK, all one word, and you'll get 15%, 15% off your first order. That's right. Code Rock Chalk Sports Talk, all one word for 15% off with home field apparel on your first order. We're going to talk with Benny Failhaber of Sporting KC2. Um, we've also got another edition of our lie detector test. But right now, the important stuff. Uh, and I'm sorry, I, I cannot do this. Uh, there was a news report a day or two ago. Texas Tech football players are receiving one-year $25,000 renewable NIL deals from the Matador Club. So all 85 scholarship players and 15 of the top walk-ons, which I don't know how they determine that, are eligible. Um, so pretty much, you know, donors are putting together a fund with two and a half million dollars every year for all this. And in return, players are expected to complete local community service. I think that's cool. That's great. Uh, I think you're going to start seeing that happen all over the country. The issue we're going to run into here is that you're going to have some schools paying 200,000, right. some are 25. And again, like I don't have a problem with it, but that's the whole point of like in the NFL, you have a salary cap and um, to where you try to even the playing field. Now, maybe you don't care about that and it's impossible to, to kind of police because you don't have a commissioner over the course of leagues. But, um, you know, good for the players and everything. Uh, I can't do that for RCST trivia, unfortunately. I cannot pay you $25,000 NIL. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm the bad guy. I cannot do that. But here's what you can get for joining RCST trivia, the football edition. So, we have done basketball for three years. Many of you have asked, when are we going to do football? Or, you know, I'm, I'm more of a football expert than I am a basketball expert. I think I would do better at the football one than the basketball one. We're going to do it. We're going to do it this year. Uh, we are officially doing it, and we are officially starting it next week. How about that for a quick turnaround? Starting it on Monday. There are less spots in this than the basketball event. Basketball, we have 64. We do the big bracket, everything. This is going to be a league. It's going to be more like football. So it's going to be, you know, more more private to get into. We have four divisions. We have a Monday division, a Tuesday division, Wednesday, and Thursday. You can guess what those divisions are. It's representative of what day you were available to play. Now, as far as the matchups, they will be conducted over Zoom and everything. And, and you know, if, if you're interested in joining, we'll kind of work out the details of when that all works and stuff. Um, what happens is we're going to have four different divisions of six people each. 
So there will only be 24 people that are going to enter into this. So it's going to be a, a very small amount of people that are that are entered into it. I will open up the phone lines at the end of this segment here for you to call in and enter. You'll also be able to enter uh, on social media, which I'll give you that cue at the end of this after I explain all this stuff. So we have the four different divisions, six in each. Um, there are going to be certain prizes awarded for if you make it to a bowl game and if you win the bowl game. And then there's also a national championship game, essentially, where you'll get even more prizes and get a chance for the grand prize. Uh, there will also be, because this is a more limited event, you know, we'll have it if you finish in the top three of the division, you will be guaranteed uh, entry into the following year. So you got to make it in the top three to get the guaranteed entry. You got to make it into the top two of your division to make it into a bowl game. And how the bowl games are going to work. We're going to have the number one from one division play the number one from another division. And then we're going to have um, the number one from the third division play the number one from the fourth division. Those will be two of the bowl games and essentially work as the college football playoff semifinals because the two winners of those bowl games will play in the championship game. Then we will have, if you finish in second of your division, all four second place teams will participate in two bowl games. Those are essentially like your other New Year's Six Bowls where, yeah, it's not the college football playoff, but I can still win a trophy. I can still put up, you know, the program's best season or, you know, do all these things. Um, and that is both of those for all the bowls. You're going to get, you know, gift cards and different prizes just for making it to the bowl game. And then if you win the bowl game, those prizes will enhance on themselves. So we have some gift cards. We have some uh, sponsors for this event. 23rd Street Brewery is our title sponsor. They're the host of the national title game and one of our bowl games, the 23rd Street Brewery Bowl. Um, then we have Johnny's Tavern. You're going to have the Johnny's Tavern Bowl. And on top of that, we're also going to have the Jayhawk Trophy Bowl. Um, we are in talks about there is going to be a fourth bowl game. Right now, it's just the Rock Chalk Sports Talk Bowl. Um, we're in talks with with somebody to get that fourth sponsorship up for you. But regardless, no matter what bowl you're going to make, you're going to get you know prizes. Like we're gonna we're gonna put the the same boat of prizes for if you make a bowl, if you win a bowl. It's just the name of the bowl is different. But you're not. It's not like the Orange Bowl where it's like, hey, if you make the Orange Bowl, you get oranges. If you make the <laughs> Tostitos Fiesta Bowl, you're getting Tostitos. No, you would get the Tostitos and the oranges in, in this case with everything. So that's how that's going to work as far as the prizes and everything goes there. If we can get some more people on board as far as sponsors and prizes, maybe that can go a little bit further. This is the first year of this, so we're kind of a, a work in progress here like we were in the first year of, of the basketball one where it was like, hey, now we also have this added prizes that we're doing as well. So we might have that as we go along here. But how's it's going to work with the six-team divisions? You're going to play five regular season matchups. So it'll be round-robin to determine who is the best in the division. Obviously, the standings will go by win-loss record. And if you have the same win-loss record, it'll go by head-to-head. -head. If the head-to-head -head is even, then it will go by points scored um, in regulation. So, And if that's tied? <laughs> um, if that's Wait, tied, then I don't know. Maybe we'll no. We'll we'll probably at that point. Well, no, I don't think it could be tied at that point because um, I guess or the no. only way it could no because you're only gonna have one matchup with the people, so right only yeah, one fair. person can win. Fair. But I guess hypothetically, if it was like a three way tie, 
I don't know. At that point, I think what we would do is try to get all three people on the phone and just do like a rapid fire, quick elimination trivia. We'll get we'll cross that bridge if we get to it. I'm uh, three person rock paper scissors. Yeah, no, I don't <laughs> want to do that. But I don't know. Maybe we'll do like a football related event. We'll, Possibly, uh, yeah. you know, we'll see who can catch the most balls off a jug machine, jugs machine <laughs> or something. No. Um. So anyway, we'll figure that out if we get there. But nonetheless, it'll be seated that way. We're also going to come out with a weekly top ten, the RCST trivia top ten. It'll be just like the college football poll. Uh, it won't really mean a ton because, again, we're basing everything just based on the standings. But, you know, if we're seeding the college football playoff, like if you win your division, you're guaranteed in. That's one thing we're doing. We're not like the college football playoff where it's like, oh, if you win the ACC, you might or might not get in the playoff. No, if you win your your group, you you will get in. There are set parameters. But it could, get, you know, determine if you're the one seed, the two seed, the three seed, or the four seed, or, or whatever it is, right? And it's just for fun. It's just for show uh, as far as the ranking. So we're all going to have like a top 10 ranking, including our preseason ranking once we get everybody registered. How we're going to be able to do that, I don't know. It'll probably be a bunch of just throwing stuff at the wall. Um, so we're going to have that. You'll play your five regular season games against all of your opponents in the division. Um Obviously, like I said, we'll have the Monday group, the Tuesday group, the Wednesday group, the Thursday group. Friday is left open. There's a reason why. Now, ideally, we won't have any matchups on Friday, um, but the reason we're leaving it blank is that we understand there, there are scheduling conflicts. There are going to be certain days, you know, whether it's you have something going on in your life, maybe it's, you know, it's it's summer. It's the time of year where you go on a vacation where you're like, well, I'm going to be out on that Monday or, or whatever, and I'm part of the Monday group. It's like, okay, cool. Well, we have Fridays open, and that'll be our makeup day. So, you know, we can always push a matchup to a Friday if we absolutely have to. But over the the course of it, you know, you, we'd like you to try to at least stick into your what day your group is so that we can just have kind of consistency there uh, with how that all works. Now, you'll have the, the round-robin games and everything and, and play everyone. The games themselves, again, this is different than the uh, basketball trivia tournament. We have a easy, medium, hard, and really hard. And I'll tell you what, um, you better know your KU football here. Like, the easy ones you should be able to get if you've been paying attention to, you know, KU football over the last 15 years or so. The medium ones are going to be tough. The hard and really hard, you either got to know your history or study up on it or read the media guide or whatever because there's a lot of very difficult stuff in there that, you know, I I shouldn't say it's very difficult in terms of me trying to trick you or anything like that. It's just difficult because we don't hear as much about KU football trivia than KU basketball trivia. But if it's just something that you've lived through or, you know, something that um, I would imagine that if if you were just more into KU football and, and you happen to know the history a little bit better, then I think you'll be okay. I'm, I'm just saying it's, you know, it's, it's one thing in, in basketball. Like, everybody knows Wilt Chamberlain. Everybody knows... It, well, at least who goes far in, in RCST trivia, like who Clyde Lavelle it is. And those guys were playing in the 50s. How many of those players could you do with KU football? For, so, so, like, for instance, stuff like that, right? And I don't want to give away any questions or anything like that. But how this is going to work, the easy round will be worth three points, so it's worth a field goal. The medium round is going to be worth six. The hard round is going to be worth seven. And the really hard round is going to be worth eight. So, you know... uh, Basically, it gives extra weight if you answer the harder questions. So if if like both people answer the easy question right, and then the one guy answers the medium but gets the hard and the really hard wrong, whereas the other guy misses the medium and the hard, you still got a chance to win the matchup in the really hard if you can get it right. You'll get more points. 
that means the maximum amount of points you can get, at least in regulation, is 24. Um, but, you know, if you put up nine points consistently or, or if you can get to 16, I think you're going to be winning a lot of your matchups here. Now, you'll get those four plays. So I, I still haven't decided if, I don't know, what do you think, Lane? What do you think sounds better? Because there's four rounds. Do we do four quarters or four downs? I like four downs. Yeah. Let's do that. Okay. So we can do four downs. Um, and then if it's tied at the end of that, then, you know, let's say both of you get the easy question right and then both of you miss the rest or both of you get the easy and medium and then miss the rest or whatever it is. Then we go to overtime and we're going to do it like college overtime because I love college overtime. It's very fun and it's wild and it's hectic and that's cool. Um, so how we're going to do it is we will, I don't know, I, I don't want to determine a home team and an away team because there's five matchups so then somebody would be uh, – kind of screwed to being the road team more than the home team in every division, multiple people. So uh, we'd probably just flip a coin or something and, and figure that out. Flip a coin, and it would be like college overtime. Whoever is picking the coin toss, you know, if they get it right, they get to choose, do I want to go first or do I want to go second? And if um, they say, I want to go second, the other guy goes first, and he gets the option of what question category he can answer from. So he might just be like, you know, just give me the slam dunk. Just give me the easy. I just want to get some points on the board, and I just want to make sure I don't lose here. The guy who goes second, let's say he hits the, uh, he gets the the easy question right. He gets the three points in overtime. The guy who's going second could go, you know, I'll take the easy one and just make sure I can tie it, and I know I can get it. Or he might go, I'll take the medium one. I'll take the medium one because I want to try to win right here. You also got to make sure, you know, yeah, I don't – you know, you have to figure out if you want to go completely in on trying to get the max eight points, and then you get it wrong, and the other guy can just get the the really easy question. Yeah, and that's the tough part about going first. The tough part about going first is that if you do opt to go to the harder route and you get it wrong, then the guy who goes second, all he's got to do is kick a field goal, right? It's like if you have the ball first in college overtime, and you know you have a fourth and one, and you go for it, and you don't get it. Then the next team, all they got to do is kick the field goal to win the game. Doesn't guarantee they're going to make it. We see them miss chip shots all the time, but it's going to make it difficult. So if you go first, now the thing is, if you go first and you hit a medium question and the guy who goes second hits the medium question, now you're in double overtime, and then it switches who picks first and who picks second. So it is like college overtime in that way, and I think that'll add a little bit of flair to it. I think that'll make it fun. Um, Like I said, as far as the questions, I would just be studying up, you know, media guide or uh, all-time leaders and this or that I would be studying up like um, past big notable games bowl games for KU I would be studying up you know who was maybe the leading uh, running back or quarterback or who was like an all-American who got Heisman votes who you know was an all-conference player uh, who led this team in interceptions that was a good team uh, I'm not really going to ask as many questions about like, you know, oh, Kansas went one and nine in 1969. Who was their leading running back? Like, I'm not going to do that. If I'm going to ask for who the leading running back or leading quarterback, like they're going to have to be, you know, at least a notable team. Like, did they go 500 or better? Right. Did they right. go six and five or or something uh, like that or better to be notable there? Or or if they weren't good, like, did they just put up amazing numbers that they should be notable individually? So things like that, um, I would all definitely uh kind of take note of and, and you know go back maybe look at past schedules of of games of past seasons where it's like oh they beat you know 
this top five team, like that's pretty interesting or, or something like that. That would be my recommendation for how you study. So with that said, we're going to go ahead and open up the registration. Like I said, we only have 24 spots available, and it's not just that we only have 24 spots available. It's that we only have six in each group. So if you can only do it on, you know, one specific day and that group fills up, I'm sorry, that's just, you know, kind of luck of the draw here or um, it didn't work out. Now, you can still register if we have filled up in a specific group and we can keep you as an alternate and, um, you know, if it's somebody just bowing out or I don't know, we can figure out what we'd want to do as an alternate or or whatever. But, um, yeah, so if you want to register, here's what you got to do. We got two ways. The first way is on our social media. So uh, we have up on our Twitter account, which you can find and, and make sure you're following uh, our Twitter account to, to kind of be eligible for all this. It's at RCST1320. So you go in there. And I'm going to try to pin the tweet right now to make it easy for you guys uh, not to have to kind of sort through stuff. But we have the tweet out there with the graphic um, kind of mentioning RCST trivia and, um, you know, just giving kind of some more information and everything. All you have to do if you want to register on the social media side of it is, I don't know, let's give them a code word that they have to use. Um well, no, because if they put it in public, then everybody's going to see it. Right. Okay, DM <laughs> our Twitter account. DM our Twitter account at RCST1320 with your favorite KU football player of all time. And if for some reason our DMs aren't open or you can't get a hold of us that way, um, then you can just tag us in a tweet at RCST1320 or you can reply to that one tweet that is pinned Again, at RCST1320, just let us know your favorite KU football player. Now, if you don't have Twitter or you don't want to go on Twitter and you just want to do it by phone, totally cool too because I'm going to open up the phone lines right now. All you got to do is give us a call. We're going to go to break here in a second. Our studio line here at KLWN is 785-843-1321, 785-843-1321. Give us a call. We'll get you registered for RCST KU Football Edition. Now, if you're listening to this in the future on the Best of RCST podcast, just do the same thing. Just DM me, uh, not the phone call part, but just DM me your favorite all-time KU football player or get a hold of us on, on the, the that one tweet with a reply or whatever you want, and we'll get you registered if we still have space. So that's that. RCST trivia, KU football starting on Monday. We're excited. With Lane Gillespie, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, depending on it. Did you know that on our website, klwn.com, as well as our sister stations, 1059kissfm.com, bull929.com, we have a program called Hometown Deals. So you click the tab, and it takes you to a magical place where gift cards are 50% off. We have handfuls of different restaurants and places that you can go to that you can get a 50% off gift card to. So just go to the website, click Hometown Deals, and you'll see some of those gift cards for 50% off. If you're a business and interested in being part of this as well and getting featured ads at no cash price and just gift card cost, shoot us an email, djohnson at gpmnow.com. We're getting some really good responses from people's favorite players. You know, you would think that most people would be like, oh, Todd Reesing or, um, you know, Desmond Briscoe or something like that. I, we're getting some great ones. And, and this makes me feel good about the... Uh, you know, the amount of knowledge that's going to be here. I, I know it's not all about that, but like, um, 
like the one I just was reading, Carl Naismith, who was nicknamed wow. the Butcher, which, by the way, that that might be one of the greatest nicknames for a safety like ever. I mean, nicknames the Butcher, like you're gonna chop my right. head up, right? <laughs> That's great. So we've gotten some really good, uh, and there's other names as well, like some unique ones and stuff. Um, so I'm I'm really looking forward to this. Um, it's gonna be a lot of fun. Okay. Uh, we have another edition of Lie Detector Test. Let's find out who's lying. Let's find out who's not. Cue the music lane. First up, Vanderbilt football head coach Clark Lee. Clark Lee said this at SEC Media Days the other day. Quote, we know in time Vanderbilt will be the best football program in the country. (laughs) The thing is, I don't know if it's a lie. I think it's more delusion, or as much as I would say ambition, I'm going to go with delusion. Yeah, he's just trying to, like, speak it into uh, existence. I think that's right. Um, I mean, I guess I'd rather him say that than be like, I don't know. We're the worst in the SEC. We suck. This is is how we're normally Yeah, like I would prefer that than what, like, Charlie Weiss said, where he's like, you know, uh, what do I tell recruits when um, you know they're, you're recruiting to Kansas and they they've been in in a tough uh, uh, situation here of late? And he's like, well, I, I tell kids that they can play right away because you look at these kids and they're a pile of crap and like stuff like. That. I'd rather <laughs> I'd rather not that. I'd prefer the Clark Lee way of thinking. Right. Yeah, I don't think he's lying. Well, I don't know because if even if he is like trying to speak it into existence, I I think part of that is actually a lie. Right. I'm yeah, sorry. That I, could, that I could see. Because here's the thing. If Clark Lee, the way he views this, if Clark Lee hypothetically does the impossible and turns Vanderbilt into the national champion, and then Nick Saban retires, and then Alabama has a job opening, and they come and offer Clark Lee a job, what is he doing? He's taking the job, and he's taking the money to go to Alabama. Right. So in theory, that would be representative of that it's not the best football program in the country, even if he gets them to that height. Um you know, wishful thinking, good for him. But yeah, uh, not going to happen. Yeah, I, I agree, though. I, I wouldn't really call him a liar. liar. It, it's just more delusional. Right. Okay, uh, John Wall signed with the LA Clippers recently. Quote, it is going to be harder for them to defend. For me, I'm happy because I don't have to have the best player guarding me every night like I've had my whole career. You tell me the third best defender is going to have to guard me? Good luck. Interesting. Mm. Um, the thing is, like, John, I, I feel like John Wall's not in his prime anymore. So he's no, gonna, he's, he's going, he's going to be. Uh, I, I, I think he is. I, I think it's another example. I wouldn't say wishful thinking, or maybe just a little bit more motivation, something like that. But if we're being realistic here, yeah, that's not true. No, he's. I mean, we've barely seen him in like a ton of game action um, in recent memory. So no, we're not going to see that happen. I don't even know if he is the third best player on the team, for goodness. Right. Uh, so, you know, you tell me the third best defender is going to have to guard you. I don't know. The third best defender might be enough to guard you. We just haven't seen a ton of you. Now, who knows? Maybe all of a sudden the year off that he had in Houston, like everything's feeling fresh and everything. And, and if you did tell me this was prime John Wall, like, yes, that would be a very big deal, but it's not. And how many games can you really expect those three to play together over the course of the regular season anyway right. with Kawhi Leonard, Paul, who, you know, Kawhi's coming back with an injury of his own. Paul George's had injury issues. D- 
to begin with, including just last year. John Wall has barely played in a ton of basketball games over the last three or four years. It cracked me up because you would see a lot of people like tweeting out highlights like, oh, how are people going to stop the Clippers? Look at what John Wall's doing. It's like from like 2014. Right. <laughs> Come on. Um, but again, like I, I kind of chalk this one up into the Clark Lee way of thinking. Like I think this is just more delusional, maybe being overconfident than it is yeah. actually telling a lie. And maybe it, like I said, maybe it ties a little bit into motivation. Like, like I believe I could do this, and then real, uh, being realistic, that's gonna set in. Yeah. So much quicker yeah, than he thinks it's going to. Okay. Um. Let's see. Uh, I'm gonna add this one on there because I'm seeing it right now from Jeff Goodman. Bronny James has really improved over the past year since I last saw him. Just does so many things that impact winning. Terrific passer, defends at a high level, and has become more versatile scorer. Always poised. We'll be interested to see where he goes to college. Is Jeff Goodman lying because he's trying to uh, get an exclusive interview with LeBron James? <laughs> I mean, I've heard a lot of good things about Bronny. That's just the thing. Uh, so I, I know you may have a point. I think he's not lying. No, I, I don't think he is either. I just I just thought it would be funny. Right. Um, <laughs> you know. I mean, he's not listed as a five-star group, but would it be crazy if LeBron James' kid, his senior year of high school, all of a sudden broke out and turned into a really good player? No, that would not. Uh, I guess he has another younger son, though, who... Yeah. There was a picture on social media circulating around like a week or two ago where he looked like just like him at his age. Uh, and he wears goggles. So LeBron with goggles. LeBron times Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, greatest <laughs> player of all time. That's the one you want. But no, that would not surprise me. Okay, uh, Whit Merrifield. Ugh. We can go back to this one. <laughs> Quote, that's the only reason I would think about getting it in reference to the vaccination at this point is to go to Canada. Something happens and I happen to get on a team that has the chance to go play in Canada in the postseason. Maybe that changes. Obviously, we've talked a lot about how that felt, you know, uh, betraying if you're a Kansas City Royals fan or something. And it's like, oh, so you're saying if you were with another team, you would get it to play. But because you're on our team, we're not good enough for you to get it so that you can play. Or that you went into the season thinking, yeah, this team sucks. I don't need to get it because I'm not going to have to play um, in the playoffs in Toronto. But let's just take this on a merit of, do you think Whit Merrifield actually would get it if those were the circumstances? Uh, because of this quote, yes. Um, I, I just think this is one of those moments where he just should have just kept quiet. Oh, for sure. Because this was this was bad on his end times a million. Yeah, because that's and, what I, I mean, he <laughs> you know, he, he made the, the fan base uh, I don't know, he made himself an enemy, essentially. Like, it was one, Andrew Benintendi, you know, he did the classic line of, um, for you know, my own personal reasons or beliefs or whatever it is. Like, if, he, like if Witt just said that, exactly. this whole thing wouldn't it's be just happening. just like, you know, people might roll their eyes, but they're not gonna, you know, it is what it is. And so with Wit, you turned yourself into an enemy there. Do I actually believe that? No, I do not believe that to be the case. I, I think if he was traded to a team where that was the case, then he just still wouldn't get it. I think that was just kind of pandering to try to, I don't know, possibly yeah. make up for something. I, I don't <laughs> really know what he was thinking there, to be honest. Uh, Mike Gundy. Mike Gundy of Big 12 Media Days said, quote, the new commissioner, I mean, honestly, if I was him, I wouldn't let OU in Texas in any meetings. He later said, this was a joke. Do you believe him that it was a joke? No, <laughs> I don't believe him at all. Because he has a point. Mm -hmm. They're, they're going to be leaving soon. And, you know, to some people in the Big 12, they feel, I would say they would probably feel betrayed 
that Texas and Oklahoma are leaving. Yeah, I would I would totally believe that. I yes, I I do not think it was a joke. I I think he's lying about it being a joke. I think he's being honest about the actual quote. I mean, literally, he says in the quote, "The new commissioner." I mean, honestly, if I yeah. was him. <laughs> You just said honestly. What What do you mean? Um, so that part, honest, right. the joke part, a lie. Yeah, you're right. I mean, why would you want OU and Texas to have an impact on, you know, I don't know, whatever future media deal or any schools that you want to add via expansion? That would be a, a crazy mark. And I think that actually for like something to pass, I'm pretty sure it's like eight out of 10 votes have to pass it. So I guess actually they can like freeze out Texas and Oklahoma. But what would what would happen if, you know, the Pac-12 schools, Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, were like, hey, we're, we're jumping ship. We're joining you today. And the Big 12 was like, okay, great. We just got to put together a vote. You know, we know how this is going to go. And Texas and Oklahoma are like, no, we're not voting to, to help you guys out. Like, we're leaving right. you guys. Why would we want to make you better? And they vote no, and then one other Big 12 school just, like, randomly votes no that, like, you wouldn't think of, and it just ruins the ability for right. the Big 12 to expand with the Pac-12. Like, why would you want that from OU yeah. in Texas? Yeah, because, like, what's the point? They're going to be gone in a few years. Yeah, why should, why should they have an impact on um, what things are going to happen or right. decisions or, or votes at that point? So I actually agree with him here, but, yeah, I, I do think he was lying about the joke part of it. It's just kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, Phil Mickelson. So, Phil Mickelson obviously joined the Live Golf Tour, and taking a lot of a lot of flack for it. Um, pretty much every golfer before every like big tournament, especially when it was during the majors and stuff, was essentially like asked their thoughts on the Live Golf Tour. Are they going to join? Like, what do you think this does? And, and all these things. We had been without a quote from Tiger Woods on this whole thing. Um, which again, like it's it's not one guy's job to speak for everyone, but also when Tiger Woods speaks, you know, one of the most accomplished golfers or athletes of all time, like you listen because a lot of times their word has, you know, a, a lot of say and, and a lot of merit to it. And Tiger said, quote, on, you know, kind of the live golf ongoings and people joining it and stuff. I disagree with it. I think that what they've done is they've turned their back on what has allowed them to get to this position. Some of these players may not ever get a chance to play in major championships. That is a possibility. We don't know that for sure yet. It's up to all the major championship bodies to make that determination. But that is a possibility. That some players will never, ever get a chance to play in a major championship. Never get a chance to experience this right here. Walk down the fairways at Augusta National. That, to me, I don't understand it. So here's what Phil Mickelson, who is the subject of this lie detector set test, said in response about Tiger. Quote, I certainly respect his opinion. I have a lot of respect for him. I respect his opinion. I think everybody's going to have strong emotions and opinions about it, and I certainly respect his. <laughs> Do you believe Phil Mickelson that he respects Tiger Woods' opinion? The thing is, on the first one, he got me, and I would believe it. But once he says it two, three, four yeah. times, no. <laughs> yeah, let me, let me count those up. I certainly respect his opinion. There's one. one. I have a lot of respect for him. Two. That's two. I respect his opinion, three. Um, and I certainly respect his, four. Four times over a, uh, what, two-word sentence, three-word sentence? Yeah, yeah I, I, I don't think it at all. Now, Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods, they don't have, like, a bad relationship. They don't have, like, a good relationship either. They're very much rivals, and if you look at it from a standpoint of, like, 
who won more, who, you know, did this or that. Like, obviously, Tiger Woods blows him out of the water. But Phil was closer to Tiger than anyone else was, I, I guess, is the way of putting that. Like, he yeah. was the one guy who could at least at certain times go toe-to-toe with him or at certain times could beat him. And there's been definitely that rivalry there and, and everything. And also two guys that don't always get along in terms of their personality and, and things that that they do. And so, yeah, um, this is very much an answer from Phil Mickelson to basically say, like, he's basically trying to avoid being like, no, Tiger bleep off because he knows he's he's in kind of the negative end of the news cycle already. If he attacks Tiger Woods, like good luck ever coming back from that. You know what I mean? Like he's already uh, in a down and out place as far as this goes. That would just make things so much worse for him. So, uh, yes, he is lying. He does not respect Tiger Woods opinion. He just doesn't want to come out and say it. Jeremy Sohan. A new first-round draft pick of the San Antonio Spurs, former uh, Baylor Bear. There was a social media video that went viral uh, about a week and a half ago where Sohan and another one of the Spurs first-round draft picks, Malachi Branham, were shown participating in a word association game while they were at the NBA Summer League in Las Vegas. And Branham... um, had to try to get Sohan to guess the phrase triple-double. What he said to try to get him to guess the phrase in the word association game was Russell Westbrook got get him a lot. So Sohan immediately, instead of guessing triple-doubles, guessed bricks. (laughs) (laughs) He's not wrong. (laughs) Well, here's what Jeremy Sohan took to Twitter after. It's banter. I was not intending on being disrespectful. Heat of the moment, I was playing a game. Do you believe him? Yeah, kind of. And I probably would have guessed the same thing, to be fairly honest. Uh, but if, but if that's your first guess, the point of this is word association, then is it just banter? Oh, uh, yeah, the, I guess what you're saying, then, yeah, probably not. But but I would, I would agree that it was heat of the moment he was just playing a game, and you think about, you know, the more recent history of what was going on with Russell Westbrook. Yeah, four years ago, triple-double machine had the most in a single season in NBA history. Now, goodness gracious. Well, <laughs> that's, I basic, guess, yeah. that's, basic, that's basically the thing. Well, it's for, it's for sure a game. Yeah, like, I, I do believe that part of it. That, yeah, he, you know, it was he was playing a game and everything. Like, yes, that's true. But if he's trying to say, like, no, I don't actually believe that Jeremy Sohan um, is... Or, or not Jeremy Sohan, uh, Russell Westbrook um, is someone who throws up bricks. That part I do not believe because you would not have that first as, as the word association. Like, no, you clearly believe that. And I don't even think it's necessarily wrong. Like, you right. know, it just is. <laughs> okay, last one in lie detector test. Rob Gronkowski, quote, love the game. Definitely blessed with all the opportunities the game of football has given me in relationships. Obviously here in New England Patriots for nine seasons and down in Tampa for two, but done with football and stepping my feet into the business world, business ventures, and just seeing what's out there and where I can find my place. Quote, I'm done with football. Do you believe him? Is he done with football? Yes, because Tom Brady's still playing and Gronk is not playing with him. That's that's the only reason. <laughs> so you think that because Gronk, it was one thing when Brady was retired that he wasn't playing or, or that he might not play. Right. But now that Brady is officially back and he's not playing, it's basically you saying, no, that's the proof because, you know, not <laughs> to even me, Tom yes. Brady can get him back. Right. <laughs> to me, yes. Okay. Yeah, I exactly. think that's a fair point. And I actually do buy into that. Uh, I believe it. I mean, this, 
I don't think this is the Brett Favre thing. Like, he does seem to have other interests. And, um, yeah, I think that was kind of a one-time thing for uh, Tom Brady. So, I agree with you. I think that was a good way of putting it. All right, that is Lie Detector Test. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk. Two hours down, one to go here on FM 1017 at 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Joined now by Benny Failhaber, head coach of Sporting KC2. They're back at home on Friday, this time over at Swope. And uh, you've overcome the tough start to the season. You sit with seven wins, seven losses, two draws right now. Still some time to try to make up a deficit to get into that top four spot. Uh, What's it going to take just in terms of internally for you guys for that to happen over this final stretch of matches? Well, I mean, I think it's, we're, we're in a tough position, obviously, in terms of making the playoffs. We've got to make quite a run. Um, we have nine games left. I think you probably got to win about seven of them, maybe even eight. And so you got to go on a really good run. And internally, I think it's, uh, it's all about putting everything together that we've worked on as a team. Um, I, I'm sure that our team has improved over the last four or five months. I think they've been players and we do, but I've got to put, you know, really good performances together and we probably got to get. You know, a little bit lucky here and there as well and have some breaks fall our way. But, um, you know, in, in sports, we all know everything is possible. So we, we keep plugging away week to week. Well, I, I want to, uh, I guess, talk up some, some individuals here. Uh, Julian Vasquez, the first one, he has two goals in the last four matches. He now has four on the season. Add on to it three assists. What do you kind of think about Julian's game? What makes him successful and, and his future with the club? Yeah, he's been um, consistent. I think that's the biggest thing from from Bowie. He's a guy that he's going to put in the work. Um, he's been very, very good in that uh, left winger position, getting up and down, helping us defensively, getting on the back end of things, creating things uh, with you know with movement and, and dribbling down the line. Uh, and, and so he's been one of the very consistent pieces for him, for us. And so. We, uh, you know, we, we try and challenge him with, with little ideas that he can try and add to the game, whether it be coming a little bit inside sometimes, connecting, uh, being a possession-oriented player as well. Um, and, I, and I think he's, he's been improving, and, and he's a very open-minded player, easy to coach, and so it's been, it's been a, a good year work with him. And hopefully we can continue to build that relationship uh, at, towards the back end of the uh, Rauf Salifu uh, had a four-goal match in your last home match, and that was at Rock Chalk Park. He's now got six on the season. All of them have come in the last six matches. Uh, what went right on that four four-goal night, and uh, how special does that show that you know he can be? Yeah, I think that's the, the main thing. I think it shows how special he can be. I think he's had uh, undoubtedly an up and down season with, with some really good performances and then some performances where he's gone, you know, missing. Uh, and, and obviously that the game with the four goals was not only impressive in terms of the goals that he scored, but I think more so was the, the part that he did off the ball, whether it was the defensive actions to help us regain possession, the moments where he was put in a tough spot and he was able to keep the possession for us, his movement off the ball, um, everything was very, very good in that game. And obviously he, he was rewarded with, with the four goals that he got, but, um, excuse me, he's, he's one of those players that definitely has taken a little bit of time to get, um, accustomed to the league, to the environment, to the team. 
we see that he has a lot of potential, and, and I think everybody saw that in that game. Um, but how can we get him to be more consistent and not necessarily score four goals in one game, but maybe score a goal every other game or so where, where it becomes a little bit more consistent and more beneficial to the team? Well, two goalies have gotten a majority of the time uh, between the posts for you guys, Kendall McIntosh and John Pulskamp. And, and obviously, you know, for you guys, this this isn't just about results. It's it's about developing these young guys for the next level. And obviously, you do want to win along the way. But does that make things challenging at all to, you know, just from a, a coaching standpoint of, you know, maybe the best thing for the players is is rotating players or playing different guys so that they can improve on their individual game, that they can get those reps that they need. But also, you know, from a team perspective, like maybe, uh, I, I don't know, does that does that make it more difficult to establish chemistry with all the guys when you have a different goalie in there? Does that does that make it more challenging uh, at this level for for that type of thing with with the goalkeeper position? Um, I actually don't think that that is that big of a challenge with the goalkeeper position. I think it's, you know, I, I, uh, I kid around with our goalkeeper coach that that's a different sport in itself than soccer, but um, it really is a little bit of, you know, a, a different mentality. And I think the, the good thing is that all three goalies that have played with us this year, they understand what we're trying to do with the second team all the way through up to the first team. Um, they've been very, very prepared each and every time that they've, you know, been called to play in the game. I think the one of the biggest uh, mental difficulties is, is is the challenge of training with the first team and hoping to try and get games with the first team and then having to come down with the second team and play. And that's something that not only the goalies but everybody on the on the team knows that that's something that was very very um, talked about even before we signed certain players. The understanding of of what it means to be on the second team and and the uh, and the challenges that come with it. And I think the guys have done really well in that sense. And and obviously. Yes, it's a challenge, but one that we understand um, that is part of the work, right? When it comes to getting results and also developing, you got to make sure that you can balance the two and you can't go with just one or just the other or else you're not doing your job. So um, that's a challenge that we look forward to as coaches, and, and, and obviously it's something that we constantly uh, you know, think about when, when preparing the team. Well, you're at home, as I mentioned, tomorrow night, Swope Soccer Village uh, against Tacoma at 7 o'clock, and you haven't had the chance to, to play against them so far this season, but you got a uh, road matchup with them after this one, uh, so two more to come over these final nine matches, and they're currently in first place. Uh, what are you doing to kind of prepare in, in terms of what this team does well, and what is it that Tacoma is going to do that makes things uh, challenging on your end? Yeah, I mean, we've tried to prepare by really focusing in on on some of the things that we want to see from our guys, regardless of who we're playing against. And so, you know, the 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 mental battle in the game, in terms of uh, you know knowing that things aren't going to be perfect all the times, and being able to uh, you know get past those those moments and 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 find success on the opposite side of it. Uh, that's something that we've really tried to, you know, work with these guys on. And this week has been, you know, a little bit of a mental grind with the disappointing result last week. And, and when, when it comes to Tacoma, we've, we've thought of little things that we can try and, um, take advantage of. Uh, they're a very, um, aggressive team when it comes to, to pushing numbers forward. I think they're the, the team that's leading the league in goals. Um, and so they're, they're very clinical in the final third. Uh, like I said, they push guys forward, whether it be the outside backs or their wing backs, the front three, 
uh, a few players from the midfield joining the attack as well. They're they're not shy when when they have the opportunity to go, and and they're very good in that final third. And so we have to be clean with the ball when we have it. We can't give them, you know, uh, opportunities to to create chances when we're not prepared to defend it. Uh, I think the the mental aspect is going to be huge in this game to make sure that we, you know, are always focused and turned on. And then uh, in terms of the, you know, us being able to take advantage of some of their efficiencies, I think if we do uh, have patience and break through their initial press, we'll, we'll have moments to score. They're, they're not a team that, you know, necessarily gets a ton of shutouts. Uh, they're just a team that usually outscores the opponent by, you know, getting three or four goals a game. So it should be an interesting game and, and hopefully one that we can manage on our terms, but it's going to be a, a very good test for our guys. Well, Benny, I appreciate you taking some time out of your day and uh, good luck tomorrow night. All right. Thank you so much for having me, guys. That was Benny Failhaber, head coach of Sporting KC2. You can go out to their game at Swope Soccer Village tomorrow night. We uh, did a ticket giveaway earlier on the show. You can also find that ticket giveaway on our uh, social media page at RCST1320. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, the KLWN app, RCST Replay with Phil Steele next.